Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Operation Christmas, Jesus' Secret Mission. And we're going to look at Mark 8.31, a secret mission that Jesus carried out. It all started with the baby Jesus being born in a manger, just as we just saw the kids in the nativity, which I always love. Uh, got the video camera going. A lot of you have your video cameras or, or phones now uh, going. And we, I always look forward to watching them act it out. And Gene uh, just said to me, you know, and the camera there, we pulled it off, we pulled it off again. It's not as easy as it looks, getting those kids together. The hardest part is getting the parts filled, believe it or not. The parts filled is the hardest part because the boys don't, the girls are all natural actresses. We all know women are great at acting. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, but the, the boys, they don't like to do it. They, don't, they all want to be animals. Kim always like, they just want to be animals. They want to be the sheep, want to be this, want to be that. They don't want to. So, and it's always been that way. I remember when we first started doing nativities uh, years ago, Ryan was four, and she was doing a Christmas play. We were living in Connecticut, and she, she came and told me what happened after the play. She said, I couldn't get the boys to do anything. They just wanted to be the animals again. And I, I was determined to at least have Joseph be a boy, because she usually ends up having the angels and the wise women and all this stuff. You know, she said, I just want at least one boy in, in the regular play. So she started out with this. She said, who will be Joseph? Will anybody be Joseph? Thinking if somebody volunteered, then the boys would follow along and be wise men and some shepherds and all that stuff. So nobody would do it, so she finally took Ryan aside, who was only four at the time, and she said, Ryan, if you will be Joseph, if you'll volunteer for Joseph, I'll take you to your favorite pizza place. To, you know, bribing, you know, it's, you know, biblical. So she, so, so she, so he says, okay, I'll do it. So she says, okay, everybody listen, boys, listen. Ryan has volunteered to be Joseph. Who wants to be something else? Ryan's going to be Joseph. He said, yeah, and I get to go to Chuck E. Cheese. So it backfired, backfired. And there's always this artistic license we have to deal with, not just getting kids to play the parts, but the artistic license. Because as you, if you know the Bible well, it's not exactly how it happened. The, the, um, <clears throat> the wise men actually came how much later? Okay, close. Two, about two years, a year and a half, three years, not sure. But somewhere in that range, Jesus was probably two-ish at the time. Terrible twos, they came at just the right time, right? Although Jesus was the, Jesus was the only terrific two ever. And uh, no, never sinned. But they came two years later. Now, if they had been three wise women, they would have been on time at the birth. They would have helped with the birth, brought practical presents, prepared a meal. You know, the wise women, if they had been wise women, but God sent the wise men. All right. And speaking of presents, practical presents, a lot of people say, how do you, how do you get your kids presents? You know, 13 kids, you know, what do you, what do you do with your kids? And we started a long time ago getting them three presents. And because of three, three wise men, three presents, baby Jesus. And I remember we were on, I think we were up to about four or five kids at the time. And we saw the handwriting on the wall. This is getting expensive. So we, we, got, we huddled them all together. And um, I remember Megan was like uh, three or four at the time. We huddled them up, and, and we said, now listen, baby Jesus only got three presents, and that's what, we think that's a good idea, to just everybody get three presents for Christmas. So mom and dad, every Christmas, mom and dad, we're going to get you three presents. And they were all sitting there, you know, real, you know, soaking it in, taking it in, you know, compliant. And, and so we finished this whole talk, and they were good with it, and we go, it's okay, good, good. And, and Megan goes, but don't tell Santa. They're okay with us giving them three, but Santa, they're expecting more from Santa. So that's where grandpas and grandmas come in. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, 
Nativity, though, is a beautiful story. It's so cute when the kids act out, but it's also a very intense story. In fact, in the story of mankind, there's an old, old history book I was reading by Hendrik von Loon wrote this. I'm reading this, and, I'm, and, and I came across a, a chapter where he's talking about the religions of the world and talking about the Roman Empire, and he says this about this, the, the, the nativity. He said it was 753 years since the founding of Rome. Augustus Caesar was living in a palace, busily engaged upon the task of ruling his empire. In a little village of distant Syria, Mary, the wife of Joseph the carpenter, was tending her little boy, born in a stable of Bethlehem. This is a strange world. Before long, the palace and the stable were to meet in open combat, and the stable was to emerge victorious. And it was a, this is a spiritual war. Jesus being born in the stable is a spiritual war. It was a, a spiritual battle, an intense spiritual battle, because that's why Jesus came to fight an intense spiritual battle. And Christmas was the start of a secret mission, as we're going to see in the book of Mark today, in Mark chapter 8 today. Now, we've been looking at Mark 8, and we saw the apostles finally figure out who Jesus is. They call him the Messiah, the Son of God. They finally figured out that he's the Messiah. And not only the Messiah, but he's the Son of God, the divine Son of God. Jesus says, great job. You figured it out. The Holy Spirit helped you with that. But he tells them that I'm going to build an unstoppable church, and we're going to crash the gates of hell with this church. But he's going to start out doing the last thing they would have expected him to do. Before I read that verse, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for the children acting out the nativity, which is such a beautiful event in history, an event that has changed our lives. We just pray that your Holy Spirit now would speak through your word. And we pray for your mercy and grace to hear what you want to say to each one of us through the words of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. One verse. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus predicts his death. Right after he says, we're going to crash the gates of hell, and, and the church is going to be unstoppable, and, and they're all excited, he says, now I'm going to die. He predicts his death. This is the first prediction. There's going to be two more in the book of Mark, which we'll see as we go along that get more explicit. But he starts out by calling himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man, which is a messianic title. It's his favorite title. When Jesus refers to himself, this is the main one he used. He used it 81 times in the gospel. And it comes from the book of... Nobody remembers Daniel, our Daniel study. Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, the messianic prophecy. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked and before... There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting Dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
Jesus is claiming that title. And notice that he's worshipped. This is not just an ordinary Messiah, but he's a divine Messiah. He's been worshipped right in the Ancient of Days presence, right in God the Father's presence. The Son is being worshipped. It's no accident that Jesus uses this title right after, the, right after the confession that he is the divine Son of God. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. You can find it many, many other places too. There's many passages about his death, but I want to focus on the classic Isaiah 52-53 passage, which was written 700 years before Christ. And I want to focus on that passage to bring out what Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. First of all, he says, the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must suffer. If we look at Isaiah 52, I'm going to have it right behind me for you, or you're welcome to turn to it, obviously. But in Mark chapter, I'm sorry, Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says this. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. Remember, we're talking about him, being, him suffering here in Mark chapter 8. There were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. And we see Jesus suffering. They're describing the crucifixion right there and what, he, what happened to him on the cross. And not only will he suffer, but he was also rejected. Jesus said, the Son of Man will suffer and be rejected. Staying right here in Isaiah 53, the next verse here. Verse 1, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with sufferings. Like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not written 700 years before Jesus was born. Amazing passage. His rejection started at his birth. King Herod tried to kill him right at birth, tried to kill him. And it continued throughout his entire life. The religious leaders rejected him and constantly attacked him. We've, we've been seeing this. And it continues today. Many reject Jesus Christ. They won't even allow him to be talked about on his birthday. <laughs> right? The schools and the public forums don't even want Jesus mentioned on Christmas. Rejected today. The kids, we were watching TV just last week and we were watching Christmas specials and one of the kids said, why don't they ever talk about baby Jesus in these specials? Why is it always Santa and elves and all these other things and family and candles? And, but why don't they ever? They, they picked up on it. Where, where's baby Jesus? I said, well, they used to when I was your age, but now they don't want Jesus in the Christmas specials. And they just couldn't quite understand that. Couldn't understand that. He's still rejected. The Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. Be killed. He came to be killed. This was really a suicide mission. His special ops mission was a suicide mission. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew what it would take to rescue us. It was going to be a suicide mission. Isaiah 53 verse 4 starts out saying this. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shares is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my peoples he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Wow. Wow. This is why Jesus came, to die for us. And this was the shocking part. Remember how Peter and the apostles, they couldn't even accept it. If you weren't here for last week's sermon, I did, actually did verses 32, 33, grab that. They, the apostles and Peter, they couldn't accept it. They couldn't understand it. And they weren't the only ones. The Jewish religious leaders and the people of that time were focused on a victorious Messiah. Not one who's going to die, but who's going to conquer. Because there were so many prophecies about the Messiah going to conquer and deliver Israel and punish her enemies. They're all over the Old Testament. But there's also clear passages about his suffering. And it's something they just couldn't wrap their minds about. So the, so the religious leaders of Jesus' time focused on the victorious Messiah. That's all they looked at. They didn't look at the other. They kind of ignored the suffering part. But some understood that the Messiah had to suffer and was victorious, and they couldn't understand it. So a lot of the rabbis taught there would be two messiahs. A messiah who would come and would suffer for the people, and then another messiah would come and conquer. They actually taught two messiahs. But we know there aren't two messiahs. We know there are two comings. The first coming and the second coming. The first coming when Jesus came to suffer and die for us. The second coming when he will conquer and establish justice and his holiness and his righteousness and set things right on this planet. And then he goes on to say not only would, he die, would he, the Messiah be killed, but he was going to rise from the dead. And they, the, the, if you were here last week when I actually did those verses, they totally missed this part. Their minds froze. After they heard him say he's going to be killed, their minds froze. They didn't, get, they didn't get it, even though he predicted it many more, several more times, two more times here in Mark. They, they didn't get it until after the resurrection. They could not grasp it. Their minds could not grasp that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They just were focused on, why are you going to die? That doesn't make sense. They, 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 they couldn't grasp it. it it's, it's easy to tell you we're post-cross. We're post-resurrection. We're post-Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. We, we, we have the word of God. We, we get it. It's not so hard for us. But at that time... It was mind-boggling resurrection from the dead. It was mind-bending. Think of time travel. What if I said, oh, I'll, I'll, I won't be here next week. I'm going to be back a thousand years. Or, or I won't be here uh, next week. I'm going to be in the future a thousand years. You'd be like, wow, what, what is he saying? Time for him to take a sabbatical, right? You know, yeah, That's what everybody would be saying. But, but that's what it was like with Jesus. They just couldn't grasp what he was trying to say here. And many miss it today, don't they? But this is what Christianity is all about. This is what separates Christianity from every other faith or any other religious system that men came, come up with. 
And this is what Christmas is all about. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I got a, a Christmas card years ago and I saved it. I, I, I never forgot it. It said, the Christmas card said, what is the difference between Christmas and Buddhamus, Confuciusmus, and Mohammedmus? Easter. Easter. The resurrection. That's what sets our faith off from every other faith and every other religious system that people come up with. So we see that Jesus' death on the cross was no accident. It's why he came to earth. Operation Christmas is why he was born at Christmas. Jesus' secret mission is really a suicide mission. He came to, to sacrifice himself for us, and he came to resurrect, him, to resurrect it from the dead too. Um, in fact, I want to read that passage from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 talks about this resurrection. Verse 10. 53 verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. He's already been killed. It's already prophesied. And look at this. He will prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of, sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. A clear resurrection of the Messiah in the scripture. Clearly. He came to die for us, and he came to be resurrected again. He came to die to pay for our sin. He came to be rise again so that we could have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. He came to sacrifice himself to save us. That's why he was born. That's the suicide mission. That's the special ops, Operation Christmas. He came to sacrifice himself to save us. Isaiah 53, 6. I just want to look at that verse again because it's so powerful. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have all rebelled against God, everybody on this planet, and our sin has broken our relationship with God and separated us from him, from the holy, righteous God. It separates us from him. And now we are all, we are born into, into sin, and we embrace it readily, into, we take the sin, and as a result, we are POWs. We are prisoners of war on this planet, to Satan, to sin, to death. We are POWs to, to, to all three. So God came up with a plan to save us, to set us free, to set the POWs free. Verse 5, back up one verse there, another powerful one. If you want to memorize some good Christmas verses, this is it. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus, God's plan was to send his son to be born in human form, and he never breaks the law. He's perfect. And he's a substitute. He's a, he pays our ransom. He is ransomed in our place on that cross. He is a substitute. He takes our place. If you saw the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you saw what happened to Aslan, the Lion, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, that's a beautiful picture that C.S. Lewis came up with, how Jesus came and took our place. Our place. He dies in our place to set us free so that the hostages can go free, so that the, 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 the rescued by the special ops, 
We see this all the time, right, in this world today. Terrorists take captives, and, and the, the special ops come in and rescue, and they end up killing a few of the people, but they rescue a few of them, and, and it's a brutal world out there, right? But what Jesus did is he came and he, he sacrificed himself. He traded himself so that we could go free. That's why he came at Christmas, to die for us, because of his love. It's all because of love. So many people think of God as mean and this and that. God's love. He's holy, he's just, he's righteous, but, but he's also loving. That's why he sent his son to die for us. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, while we were POWs, he, he died for us. Can you imagine being held captive by terrorists today? Maybe ISIS has you captive and they're, they're torturing you and they're going to behead you soon. Imagine living like that and, and living in that condition. But that's a picture of what we were like spiritually before Jesus came to, to save us. And so many times we think of Jesus and the death on the cross and being born. And it's just like words on the page. We just kind of become callous to it. But we, we forget just what he saved us from. That life of torture and a future of, of, of no hope in eternity. What he saved us from. And what it cost him. What it cost God. And what it cost Jesus. The, the, the torture that he went through. The execution that he went through. Hours and hours. But the worst torture was separation from God. Because when he took our sin upon himself on that cross, remember what he said? Father, why have you forsaken me? God, his father, who he had been closely connected to from all of eternity, rejected him. Turned away from him. Because he put our sin on himself. And a holy God cannot look upon sin. Imagine having your only child ripped away from you. And I know some of you have experienced the pain of, of that and the death and the horrible pain. But that's what happened to Jesus. From all of eternity, he and the Father are one. They're connected. The Holy Spirit, they're connected. And to have, have this closest love relationship possible ripped apart for us, it cost him something. And we must act on that love. He loved us. He did something for us. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have eternal life. God showed his love, but we have to act on that love by putting our faith. Whoever believes in him, not intellectual, but it's a heart. It's talking about the heart. Getting, putting our faith in Jesus Christ. To, to say, God, I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe Jesus took that, my sin on the cross and paid for it. I want a relationship with you. I don't want to be a POW anymore. I don't want to live in that sin anymore. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. When, that We have to act on that. Otherwise, it's wasted. John 3.36 says, 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If we don't act on that love by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, that is wasted. Can you imagine you're, you're being held captive by terrorists, and someone comes and, and tra- takes your place, and then after they're killed right before you, they're beheaded right in front of you, you'd say, I, I like it here. I'm going to stay with these guys. They've, they've, I kind of go along with their viewpoint. That's exactly when we reject Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we do to God. And that's why the wrath remains on us. Have you acted on his love? Have you received the gift of life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? And if so, this Christmas, if you've received that gift from God, this Christmas God is is, is looking to receive a gift from us. Do you know there's a gift that he wants us to give, not just on Christmas, but every day? that we can give him? Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's, that's the gift that God wants us to give him out of, out of love for him and responding to that love, giving him that, that gift back, a life that pleases him, a holy life, a life that we live like Jesus Christ, the life that he always wanted us to live, the life we were created to live. It's the good life. It's the great life. It's the life that's broken free of the deception and the lies and the strongholds. I remember uh, the movie in Save it Private, Saving Private Ryan, one of my favorite movies. At the end, Remember when Private Ryan is, you know, now a grown old man and he's kneeling before a cross. It was the grave of, of the guy who sacrificed himself, Tom Hanks' character. And, and all these guys sacrificed themselves. And remember what Tom Hanks said to him right at the very end? He said, earn it. Right as he's dying, he says to Private Ryan, he says, earn it. And this guy wanted to make sure that he had earned it. And he's standing before the cross and he's, and he's kneeling there and he says to his family, tell me I've been good, tell me I've been good. Well, It's kind of like that, but the difference is we can't earn it. Jesus earned it. Jesus earned it by dying on the cross for us. All we can do is accept it. But there is a part that is true there that we have to make it worth it. Make it worth it. Jesus' sacrifice. We can can make it worth it by pleasing him and living for him and becoming the person he has called us to to become. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, maybe you're here today and as we're all praying, maybe you're here today and you've never received the gift of life. The gift of a new life in Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And today is that day. Today is the day of your salvation. There's only one way to receive that gift. And that's by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And giving our life to him. And right where you're sitting you can do that. It's between you and God. He hears the prayer of your heart. And right where you're sitting, you can pray and say, God, I ask you to forgive me.
my sin, my iniquity, my rebellion. I re ask you to forgive all the wrong in my life that Jesus had to come and die for. I repent of that life. I ask you to forgive me. And I believe Jesus was your son. And he died on the cross for me. And I'm putting my faith in him. My hope, my trust, my faith in him to forgive me and make me a new person. And I'm going to follow him. I give you my life, God. I want you to make me into the person you created me to be. A new creation in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, faith, and follow. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you've just received an amazing gift. It's better than any gift you could possibly dream of. You've just been given a real life here on this planet Earth and a life forever with God someday. And you've just started an amazing adventure with, with a relationship with God, your Father. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you have a family member or a friend here. Tell them, or there's a card in the bulletin. Fill it out and stick it in the box. Or tell me, email me, text me, call me. Let somebody know so that we could be excited and encourage you in your new faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? We've received the gift of life, but are we giving back the gift of our life to Jesus Christ? Every time the flesh or the world or Satan is working us over, do we remember what Jesus did for us? What it cost him? And why he did it? so that we can live free, so that we can fight, so that when we fall flat on our face, we'll get back up again and depend on God's mercy and grace. It should be Christmas every day, giving the gift of our life to Jesus Christ. I pray that you, we would make that our perspective. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would remind us that if we've never put our faith in Christ yet, we wouldn't have a moment's peace until we do, and then we would know the Prince of Peace. And if we're settling for second best or, or not pleasing you with this life, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would really convict us. And even if we're struggling, we would just get back on our knees and then to our feet 
needs to pray and onto our feet again and keep fighting this battle, no matter how many times we fall. Living and fighting to please you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.